House Speaker Kevin McCarthy told reporters that he backs a proposal from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and House GOP Conference Chairman Elise Stefanik to expunge both impeachments of Donald Trump. The measure would be purely symbolic and non-binding. McCarthy justified his position by claiming that both impeachments had, get this, no due process. In the past two weeks, Biden has been cracking jokes about his age more often than usual. He's dropped some version of the punchline, he's old and he knows it, during events on gun safety and international diplomacy at campaign fundraisers and in a speech about abortion rights. The most direct approach, as Biden ramps up his re-election campaign, is a shift from the ways he's typically tried to make light of his age, noting he's been around a long time. A push to tie Medicaid to work is making a comeback. Georgia is at the forefront. The Medicaid changes sought in Congress did not survive a debt ceiling compromise. But Georgia's plan, called Georgia Pathways to Coverage, has proceeded and will begin in July of this year. Now, despite their disparate outcomes, the moves in Washington and Atlanta reflect a renewed determination among conservatives in various parts of the country to tie eligibility for the largest form of public health insurance to work. The 49-page indictment against Donald Trump for mishandling classified documents and obstructing justice is largely focused on how boxes of sensitive documents ended up in crammed or ended up crammed into the nooks, crannies, and even a chandelier adorned bathroom of Trump's Florida estate, Mar-a-Lago. But two of the indictment's most vivid scenes took place about 1,200 miles to the north. Prosecutors accused Trump of showing off classified documents to employees and others not authorized to see them. Not once, but twice at his sprawling golf club on the rural plains of New Jersey. Well, Daniel Penny was arraigned for a second time this morning, two weeks after a New York City grand jury indicted him for allegedly placing Jordan Neely in a fatal chokehold in a subway train in May. The arraignment is a procedural step after the 24-year-old Marine veteran was indicted by a grand jury in the death of Mr. Neely, a 30-year-old Black man, in a minutes-long incident caught on film. If convicted of the second-degree manslaughter charges, Penny will face up to 15 years in prison. The Supreme Court yesterday ruled that the First Amendment imposes limits on laws that make it a crime to issue threats on the Internet, saying that prosecutors must prove that a Colorado man who had sent disturbing messages to a singer-songwriter had acted recklessly in causing emotional harm. Now, according to the Supreme Court in this ruling, the state must show that the defendant consciously disregarded a substantial risk that his communications would be viewed as threatening violence. Justice Elena Kagan wrote the five uh, wrote for five justices in what was a seven to two decision. Guess who dissented and who the two justices who did not agree with the other seven? Well, you're listening and watching Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. In this hour, I'm joined by two of my favorite contributors. Dr. Michael Fontroy is here. He's a professor of policy and government at George Mason University. And Katrina Robinson is joining us. She is a former Tennessee state senator and a Democratic consultant. 
And in hour two, we go behind the headlines and we dig deep on those stories people are talking about. Today, we're exploring conservative lawmakers' obsession with banning drag shows. Drag shows have become the latest target of conservative criticism. Now, since the beginning of this year, at least 32 bills have been filed in Arizona, Arkansas, Iowa, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Minnesota, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Tennessee, including other states, West Virginia, Texas even, these laws target drag performances with, and we can expect more of them to be on the way. Now, details of the legislation may change from state to state, but most of these bills represent a broad and dangerous chilling of Americans' right to free speech. The U.S. Supreme Court has repeatedly found that clothing choices are a constitutionally protected form of expression under the First Amendment. So not only do these laws trample on individuals' First Amendment rights, but according to some, they are a blatant tactic by lawmakers to intimidate transgender and non-binary performers and to force them into hiding. Today, I'm going to talk to two drag performers and get their take. That's coming up in hour two, so make sure you stick around. But before I bring on my guest, here is what I'm thinking in real time. Yesterday, I talked about the two women, Black women in Buffalo, New York, who were turning pain into passion and running for office. And this happened after the horrific racist terrorist attack that we saw uh, in Buffalo May of last year, just about a year ago, where 10 individuals who were just shopping and some working in their local supermarket were gunned down by a white supremacist. Unfortunately, 10 of those individuals died in that racist uh, attack, domestic terrorist attack. But after that event, and as that city has tried to heal Several individuals decided that they wanted to do something to be a part of the solution. So Zanetta Everhart, a political newcomer whose son was a victim of that racist shooting at that top supermarket, she decided to run. And on yesterday, as elections were held across the state of New York, Miss Everhart defeated her opponent, India Walton. Now, Miss Walton was uh, and is a progressive Democrat who had run for mayor for Buffalo and actually unseated the incumbent before the general election and that incumbent was uh, re-elected as a write-in candidate. Now, this seat that Miss Everhart won on yesterday represents, uh, the, the town is called, or the area of town is called Matson, and it's an east side district adjacent to where the top supermarket is. And it is a traditional Black neighborhood and represents a traditional base of Black political power in Buffalo. And Buffalo, as many of you may know, is New York's second largest city and a Democratic stronghold. Ms. Everhart is a former television news producer who works for a state senator. She also testified in front of Congress after the shooting in which her son, Zaire, was shot in the neck but fortunately survived. Uh, as I said earlier, unfortunately, 10 other people lost their lives in that attack by that white supremacist. I am so incredibly 
proud and ecstatic, really, about the success that Miss Everhart had at the polls yesterday. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to uh, be going through the healing process with a son who was the victim of that kind of racist uh, attack. Fortunately, as I said, he did survive, although he was shot in the neck and still has complications related to that shooting. Miss Everhart could have decided to just focus on her son, just focus on his pain, on his injuries. But instead, she stood up and said, I want to do something. I want to help this city heal. I want to help my state heal. And I want to do that by representing uh, this Black community in city council. Uh, and be a voice for those individuals who lost their loved ones and others who are fighting against access to weapons in this uh, city, in her city of Buffalo and in the state of New York and across this country. So again, a big shout out to Zanita Everhart and also to her opponent who didn't win. I hope that uh, Ms. Walton continues to use her voice and continues to be a servant in that community. Again, both of these women stepping up big time and answering the call uh, to be of service to that Buffalo community that is still healing. When we come forward, more of today's trending news with my expert contributors right here on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. We are tracking today's trending news and providing you expert analysis. And I'm so excited to be joined in this hour by my contributors, Dr. Michael Fontroy. He's a professor of policy and government at George Mason University and Katrina Robinson. She is a former Tennessee state senator and a Democratic consultant. Welcome back to Ariva Martin in real time, Dr. Fontroy and Katrina. I want to start with you, Dr. Fontroy. So here's Kevin McCarthy. He went on uh, a couple of news shows yesterday. He started by saying that he, okay, I'm getting a note from my producer that I thought Katrina Robinson was here and she's not. It's Isaac. Hi, Isaac. I'm sorry. I did not get my notes, so I apologize for calling you Katrina. But let, let me talk with you, Dr. Fontroy, first about Kevin McCarthy. He goes on two news shows. He starts by saying he doesn't know if Donald Trump is good for the country or if he's the best candidate. And I mean, within an hour or two later, he's on a different news show, i.e. Fox News. He, I think the first one was CNBC. He goes on Fox and says, pretty much walked that completely back and said that Trump was the only candidate that could lead the country and that he would definitely be able to beat Joe Biden. And this is the same Kevin McCarthy who is now uh, co-signing on this uh, proposal by Marjorie Taylor Greene and Elise Stefanik to expunge Donald Trump's impeachments. What are you to make of Kevin McCarthy? He seems to just be all over the place when it comes to Donald Trump. So Senator uh, Speaker McCarthy has a couple of fundamental problems. One, he doesn't have a set of core beliefs, which means that he's willing to sort of move in any direction he needs to to protect his 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 speakership, which is his overriding goal. So that's that's a bit of a problem. And and also he is being buffeted by a hard right faction within the Republican conference 
that is almost at the drop of a hat willing to call for a no confidence vote and try to replace him. So he slips up and tells the truth every now and then, right? He, <laughs> he falls you know, into the truth. He yes. falls into it. He lurches uncontrollably into the truth. And then he then he gets slapped in the face with cold, with the cold water of partisan politics and ideological politics in a very thin majority. And he has to go on TV and walk that back. And so this is not the first time he's done this. And just last week, he's fussing with uh, Lauren Boebert from Colorado over her plan to uh, introduce articles of, of impeachment against President Biden. So he's he's got a he's got a mess. He doesn't have a lot of loyal support. And oh, by the way, doesn't have any core values, which means he's willing to do whatever is necessary to stay in office. Yeah, Isaac, who's not Katrina, Isaac Wilson is joining us. He's a Democratic strategist and chair of the Democratic Party of Florence County, South Carolina. Welcome back, Isaac. You too are one of my favorite contributors. Uh, Isaac, Kevin McCarthy says he wants these impeachments expunged. They have no legal uh, meaning or legal significance, but might that help Donald Trump in an election if the Republicans say he's no longer twice impeached, that those impeachments have been expunged from his record, according to the majority in the Congress? I don't think it helps him either way. Uh, people will know him as a, as a two-time impeached president, whether you take it away or, or whether you keep it. Uh, it the, the, the damage has been done. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is just trying to find, like Mr. Michael said, just trying to find any way to stay in Donald Trump's good graces. I guess he went and he thought about that thing for a minute, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I think he got miss. a call from Don. I think Don sent him a text, like, have you lost your mind, fool? <laughs> thought about it, like, oh, do you want to still be House Speaker? Like, they're trying to kick you out now, but I think I can help you uh, if you win. Uh, and so he's just trying to stay in those good graces um, to uh, have someone like Donald Trump, a big bull on his side uh, for the Republican Party, because at this point he has no one uh, that's a that's a giant bull in his party that really supports him. Hey, Reva, may I jump in quickly on of this course. expungement vote? This is silly theatrics, right? It does. It literally is not a thing to expunge this. And oh, by the way, let's say the House Republicans vote; they have the majority and vote to do this. The Senate certainly wouldn't support that. First, there's At a all. Democratic majority <laughs> in the Senate. And when the second impeachment trial took place, there were seven Republican senators who voted to convict. And five of those Senate seven are still in the Senate. So there's no chance that this is uh, going to pass both chambers of Congress. So this is all about political theatrics, trying to continue to curry favor with the Trump base and hope uh, that uh, they can you know, sort of smooth things over with some of the recalcitrant hard-right Republicans that I mentioned a moment ago. Well, McC uh, McCarthy must have seen the recent article uh, came out probably hours after he first said Trump wasn't the best candidate for the Republican Party and for the country because, you know, reports out now say that Trump is dominating the GOP race and that there has not been this coalescing around DeSantis or Mike Pence, Chris Christie or any of these other GOP candidates. And no matter what indictments and impeachments and, 
you know, documents in his bathroom next to his toilet, the base of the party, which is what you have to get through before you get to a general election, is still solidly behind Donald Trump. Are you surprised at all, Isaac, that DeSantis hasn't gotten more traction? No, I'm not surprised. He's not a great speaker. He does. He's not charismatic. He's actually a, a mean little elf is what I call him. Um, he just doesn't have that, 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 that charisma that Donald Trump has to sway a crowd. He doesn't have what, uh, uh what a, uh, um, uh, a Chris Christie would have. I think Chris Christie has more of charisma than you do a, a Ron DeSantis. He just can't get out of, get out of Florida. He can't, he can't bring that Florida stuff across the nation. No one wants to hear it. No one wants to believe in it. No one wants to support someone who's doing all of that in Florida uh, around the country. So I'm not surprised. Um, and I even think that he'll drop out before we even get to a debate. It's so interesting so, that you say that because clearly DeSantis has not done his math. He hasn't really seemingly done his homework because a lot of independents in the same article that I'm talking about that says DeSantis doesn't have traction, independents who lean Republican, which I'm not even sure I'm convinced there are any independents, <laughs> so let's just call them Republicans. Right. They are concerned that DeSantis won't be able to make his way back to the middle, that that extremist mm -hmm. policy you know, posture that he's taken in for it, as you said, Isaac, they, they, they know that's not going to play to the middle of the country. They know that's not going to play with those, you know, pseudo Republicans. They call themselves independents. So, uh, Professor Power, how did he miscalculate that? Seemingly, he would have started moving more to the middle as he was contemplating this run. Well, today is June 28th. And I think if this were September 28th, I would I would sort of be more on board with that. But the reality is that when you're running in a Republican primary, you gotta, you gotta get the most extreme voters uh, that make up the bulk of the Republican primary voters. And so he's trying to out Trump, Trump. He's trying to out Trump, Trump. The thinking all, all along has been that for a lot of Republicans, a lot of Republican voters, they like Trump policies without Trump. And so he's trying to double down on those policies without actually being being Trump. The problem, of course, and Isaac pointed this out a second ago, is that DeSantis is eminently unlikable. And as a result, is not about to break through when compared to someone like Donald Trump. So he miscalculated, uh, in part, his own ability to connect with voters across the country. He doesn't actually have a great record on which to run. And when he when when the when the real you know rubber hits the road later in the fall and into the winter, uh, his votes in the House, some of which are, are, are don't age well for current Republican voters, will certainly be a problem for him going forward. Yeah, all of those Republicans were at this Faith and Freedom Coalition Conference in Washington. Uh, this is a Christian conservative group. And the reception for Donald Trump, they said, was just over the top standing ovation, you know, just minutes and minutes and minutes of folks standing up cheering for Donald Trump that they said it was so bad. <laughs> you know, the other folks basically could have gone home uh, and were, you know, basically booed in, in some ways. So, yeah, Donald Trump's grip on this party is firm. Uh, real quickly, let's talk about age. 
Joe Biden, Isaac, is leaning into his wisdom, his maturity, making jokes about it, which I think, you know, is the right thing to do. Don't run from it. Try to leverage it. But why do you think folks talk so much about Trump's age? I mean, Biden's age when Donald Trump, they're like three years apart. You know, they're so close in age that they could be twins. In a family, you would just say, you know, they're basically the same age. But nobody ever focuses on Donald Trump who would be 80, 80 plus if he were to win and go on to be president. But there's this obsession with Joe Biden's age. I think when Joe goes out and Joe makes a stumble or he makes a stutter, um, I think they think about age when it comes to it. Age really kind of plays part to that, but it really doesn't. Um, as he said all along, he's always had a problem. Um, and he's not out here spewing all this negative jargon and all this crazy stuff. He's talking like he is a a well-polished man who loves this country. And when you're doing that, you're talking soft. You're not really, you know, going after anybody. And Donald Trump's in the street talking like a thug. So he does, he's not talking like a 78-year-old a, a man. He's talking like he's 30 and he's from the Bronx. And it's just, that's what people are accustomed to in this party right now, in the Republican Party. Well, I would also add that that's what people, that uh, that's what Republican primary voters like. But when you look at all of the polling, the rest of the country is completely turned off by that. And, you know, Biden is, he's, he's leading into it because the other approach hasn't worked to this point. And I will just tell you, Ariva, anecdotally talking to my students over the course of a number of years now, I'm just telling you, you know, younger voters have substantial questions about older politicians. Mm -hmm. And so when they hear that Nancy Pelosi is 80 and Donald Trump is 77 and Steny Hoyer is 81 and Joe Biden is 80 and all of this kind of stuff, they, you know, look, most of them, they want everybody over 50 to go sit in the corner somewhere, right? <laughs> they don't, you know, they, they don't have much of the context for the wisdom and all that other stuff. And so to Isaac's point, you know, Joe, Bi Joe Biden has a stuttering issue. Uh, that's a problem. He has gray hair. For, for some, he looks older than 80, where Donald Trump is made up and, you know, hair colored and all that kind of stuff. And you're right. People don't talk about it, even though there's almost no appreciable difference between the two on the point of age. And oh, by the way, I think since calling the question, Donald Trump's competence and uh, coherence, if you will, uh, that uh, hasn't yet happened. But I'm telling you, if he ends up having to testify in some of these trials and he gets tripped up by these prosecutors during testimony, I think some of that will begin to change. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see Donald Trump sitting in a witness stand, putting his hand on a stack of Bibles, swearing to tell the truth because he's incapable of telling the truth. And lawyers that represent him, whether it's in his civil cases or his criminal cases, know that he is his own worst enemy and he would be uh, the best witness for the prosecution or for the plaintiff uh, in his civil cases. So I don't think that's going to happen. But when we come forward, I want to talk about conservatives and their obsession with people working when they believe they're, you know, as a way to get what should be basic government benefits. Why, why, why are they so obsessed with folks working? Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. You are listening to Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your you're listening to Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is 
the first hour of the show where we track today's trending news and provide you with lots of analysis with my expert contributors. I have Dr. Michael Fontroy here and Isaac Wilson. So Isaac, we've been talking about Ron DeSantis and him trying to move to the right of Donald Trump. And I was just looking at some of today's trending news. And there's this article about DeSantis vetoing a popular bipartisan criminal justice reform bill uh, in the state of Florida. And you will recall that Ron DeSantis also said that if elected, he would uh, work to overturn or reverse, I should say, not overturn, but reverse the First Step Act that was signed into law under Donald yes. Trump. And he said he would use deadly force against drug dealers or drug smugglers who smuggle drugs across our borders. Basically said he would kill them. <laughs> I mean, so uh, you can't get much further to the right of Donald Trump than that by saying you're going to kill drug dealers, no trial, no jury, nothing, just shoot them and kill them. Uh is this the kind of rhetoric and are these the kinds of policies that DeSantis is miscalculating this kind of, you know, veto a bill that was sponsored by and supported by your own party? And this is a bill that would have expunged adults' criminal records, people who were exonerated, people who had paid their debt to society, expunging their record, giving them an opportunity to get back into society and work and become contributing members of their society. He said no. Records, you know, stay forever. Is he again making just a, a big miscalculation? Most definitely. Um, I think Ron DeSantis is just trying to be different <laughs> in every sense of of, of the word, uh, and he is trying to, uh, you know, win over Donald Trump's people. But even they aren't that extreme. Um, Donald Trump doesn't talk extreme like that. I think he probably say, "Hey, let him do the time and get out." Um, I, I think Ron DeSantis is trying to create a lane in that MAGA world, but it's just not working because he doesn't have the charisma. And I think he's just being radical. Uh, and you, you don't need radicalism to be a MAGA Republican. You just need a, a, a bad ideology. It doesn't necessarily mean radical because I don't think Donald Trump is radical. I just think that he just is is crazy. And he says the things that normal everyday Republicans probably wouldn't come on TV and say. Um, so Ron DeSantis has definitely miscalculated that. So Ariva, <clears throat> excuse me, Ariva, this is a uh, brilliant short-term politics and stupid long-term politics. It's brilliant on the short, short term because again, the Republican base, the Trump voters that he's trying to peel off and the, the folks he's trying to magnetize to himself that aren't necessarily Trump people are really sort of angry and at some level bloodthirsty and don't really respect the fundamental humanity of, uh, right. of American people. So they don't, they don't care anything about due process. They don't care anything about fairness. Right. You know, they, they, they are good with DeSantis saying he wants to use deadly force because they do too. But here's the problem. Let's say he were to get the nomination on that. There's no way that there's a significant enough uh, number of non-aligned Republican voters and independent voters that are going to go along with that. And the Democrats are going to be behind Joe Biden. So he can he can potentially claw back some votes from Donald Trump and perhaps even win the Republican nomination with this kind of talk. 
but it's a non-starter elsewhere. And we haven't even begun to talk about, you know, abortion, the silly stuff he's done with Disney and the variety of other extreme positions he's taken uh, uh, over the course of the last few months. So uh, brilliant short term, but really stupid long term. You know, these policies, uh, to your point, to both of your points, I don't even know if these Republicans know what they say they're for and what what they are allegedly for means. And an example of that is Trump was doing an interview. We all saw some parts of that Brett Baer interview that he did on Fox. And Brett brought up the First Step Act and the fact that, you know, under that act, the president touted out, remember the black woman, Alice Johnson, who had been given clemency because she had a nonviolent drug case. So Trump says he wants drug dealers to get the death penalty. So Brett said, well, Trump, if you want folks that deal drugs to get the death penalty, the woman, Alice Johnson, who you told the country was, you know, this, this symbol of righteousness, she would be eligible for the death penalty. And Brett, it was clear Trump didn't really even understand what he yeah. was talking about. He didn't probably remember what the First Step Act was about. He probably had forgotten that he said he wanted criminals that sell drugs to get the death penalty. And finally, he said, well, <laughs> this is just so stupid. He said, well, Alice wouldn't get the death penalty because if she knew you could get the death penalty for selling drugs, she would have been deterred. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that arena. It was it was from selling drugs. It was it was the it was out of all of the ignorant, insane things he said. That's toward the top of the list because of what you just pointed out. He looked genuinely confused uh, during the course of that interview when Brett Bear, Bear reminded him that what he's calling for now in that interview would have required the execution of right. someone that he has held up. Lovely, he is literally held Alice up. Johnson. Yes, he has literally held her up as sort of a, I mean, that, this isn't the greatest word, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but he almost turned her into a mascot for him and just celebrating this 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 uh, first, first step back. When yeah. he was all for it. Yes, he, he was all yeah. for it. Yes, and so it's just, uh, it, it's just embarrassing. And yet another example, by the way, in which, you know, he's being able to slide on this age, competence, you know, kind of thing. Where yes, people, that's uh, a clear example, Professor, right. where we could have said he's old and confused. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally confused. He was having a true senior moment or else. Well, he's having a stupid and a senior moment. I, well, you know what? I'm not going to put that on seniors because seniors are way smarter than that. I'm just going to say he was having a Trump moment, which typically tends to be. Uh, a radically stupid moment. Classic Donald Trump. I'll call it. Classic Donald Trump Trump moment. Uh, Let's talk about these Republicans going into Philadelphia. Their strategy now is to try to get the moms for liberty. These are the women, you will recall, these Christian right, super, super conservative religious women who have been infiltrating school boards, going into school boards, wreaking havoc, really, but have been successful in winning seats. And then once they win seats on these local school boards, they have been responsible for getting books banned. They've been responsible for getting movies uh, banned from being played in classrooms, particularly if they have any uh, subject matter around the LGBTQ community. 
So the Republicans have decided that this is a group that they should be catering to because if they can get these women who are proving themselves successful in getting school board members elected, maybe they can get one of these candidates elected. Now, this these women are organized under uh, the IRS code 501c3, so they are a nonprofit, which prohibits them, according to the IRS, from mm-hmm. endorsing a particular candidate. But clearly, uh, they can throw their weight behind uh, Republican values that these candidates support. Should we be concerned, Isaac, if, if these women go to work and decide they want to get one of these Republican candidates elected, uh, given their track record and their success at the local school board level, do should we see them as Democrats as a threat? Yes, we should see them as threats uh, because you got people who don't know um, about policies or don't know what's going on uh, when it comes to a, a CRT or it comes to uh, whatever they're talking about in the school board. And so when you put this rhetoric out there, you will have people that will follow them because they are moms with with kids in school. Um so it, that could be a barrier to us when we already have a messaging problem that we need to fix. And for moms to get out there and start talking, um, I think that'll be a, a, a knock against us. Yeah, when we come forward, I'm going to get your opinion on that, Professor Fonroy. And I do want to talk about this push to tie Medicaid to work and the comeback or the proposed comeback of this policy that's happening in Georgia, literally in July of this year. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. You are listening to Ariva Martin in real time, and we are tracking today's trending news with my expert contributors, Dr. Michael Fontroy and Isaac Wilson. And in hour two of the show, I'm going to be talking to some drag performers to get their take on the three dozen or so laws that have been enacted across the country that ban drag shows, talking about why conservative lawmakers are so obsessed with drag shows. And is this just a veiled uh, attempt really to cause transgender and non-binary people to go into hiding? And is it just more conservatives stoking culture wars and causing transgender and others to be targeted? For violence. So we're going to make sure you stay with us for hour two of the show. But Professor Fontroy, I want to get your opinion on these uh, mothers, these conservative women who have been so successful at the school board level. Should we be concerned about them as Democrats? Yes. So this is part of a long, you know, four decade movement within the Republican Party to use culture war issues to spark local political revolutions across the country. So you may remember organizations like the Moral Majority, you know, back in the 80s, that were among the first to really sort of employ a nexus between religion and politics. And that sparked a new wave. Well, this is a continuation of that. And, you know, the book banning, the culture war nonsense, All that does is really take away from the focus on where it should be, which is preparing young kids to go out and live independent and productive lives. No kid is going to be harmed in a a sort of irreversible way because they were uh, exposed to Ralph Ellison or Malcolm X's writing or Tony Morrison, Morrison, (laughs) beloved, you know, all of this kind of stuff, you know, but. This is an example of how 
civic ignorance sort of finds itself in policymaking, right? And then you end up with bad policy. But the loudest voices almost always, you know, are able to get through, even though most people probably don't agree with them. And that's because too often we just think that because somebody's loud and passionate that they're actually right. And we just sort of go along with it, even though that's not the case. Yeah, I, I think as the Democratic Party, we better be very concerned and have a strategy to combat these women, because as you both have said, these are mothers. So people are going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're disarming in a lot of ways, which is why they've been so successful. They're loud. They're well organized. And, and we should white. expect them to be they're white and we should yeah. expect them to be well funded. So those are factors that can lead to success, particularly in some down ballot races, some close races. Uh, So we better not sleep on these moms for liberty. There's a group called Red Wine and Blue that comes on to my show frequently. They are women out of uh, Ohio and some other states in the Midwest. And they got really organized after Trump won in 2016, really just getting everyday moms who weren't much, weren't very involved in politics, getting them to recognize how important their voice was and their vote. So I, I hope that uh, that group, the Red, Wine and Blue, who mostly support Democratic candidates, that they are uh, also engaging, organizing, and ready to combat what we should expect from these Moms for Liberty, which some people describe as a really, really aggressive uh, group of conservative activists, but also very effective. I want to talk about now in the last couple of minutes of the show, Professor Fonroy, uh, Republicans' obsession with work. So state of Georgia is basically saying if you are an adult and you receive Medicaid benefits and Medicaid benefits for your health, they are going to tie your ability to receive those benefits with some kind of work. And, you know, everybody's in favor of folks working. Nobody wants to support people who are able body and, you know, can get out there and work. They should work just like all of us on this show have to work and pay our taxes and do those things uh, that make the country go. But clearly there's a need for a safety net. There's a need for medical insurance. And some people aren't able to work. And we don't want as a country to tie someone's ability to get much needed health care to having a job. But they won't let that go. Talk about culture wars, uh, Professor Fonroy. And Georgia's got a plan called Georgia Pathways to Coverage. They think this is going to pull people out of poverty, despite all the studies that show it has absolutely positively no impact on poverty. So this is, again, part of a multi-generational effort by Republicans, conservatives, I should say more specifically, to push people off of public welfare. That, you know, so so the idea here is if you don't get a job by a prescribed time and don't work a particular number of hours, then you can be kicked off of the rolls. So that's really what this is about, an attempt to kick people off of the rolls, uh, thinking that uh, in some ways that will reduce poverty. But as you noted, and this has been repeated over the years, that is just it's just a fallacy. It doesn't work that way. And more specifically, it actually helps to push down wages for those people who are who are working. Think about this for a second. If all of a sudden you have, you know, a few thousand people entering a job market in a particular place, then what's the incentive for business owners or, or those hiring officials to pay competitive wages? Because they know they can pay close to minimum wage for some people because they have to take the job as a condition of their uh, social safety net support. 
Well, more, I was thinking along the same lines, these states that want to force people to go to work, but won't increase the minimum wage. I was looking at an article uh, from my state, Missouri, my home state, and literally the fight that it took to get the minimum wage in that state to move from $7.50 an hour, literally still paying people $7.50 an hour. You want to get people out of poverty, pay them a living wage. Don't make them go get a substandard job, a job making substandard wages, and somehow think that somebody's going to get out of poverty making $7 an hour. You can't work your way out of poverty on $7 an hour when rent in cities like St. Louis and across this country, more than $1,000 for a two-bedroom apartment, mm-hmm. uh, car insurance, transportation costs, other costs, you know, utilities, except food. I mean, just going to the grocery store, buying a bag of groceries. So that's what's so hypocritical and so mean-spirited about so many of these conservative lawmakers. On one hand, they want you to think they care about people and pulling people out of poverty, but they continue to support uh, measures, policy measures like, you know, substandard wages, which, you know, could have an instant impact on someone's ability to move out of poverty. And I know this firsthand because I grew up in poverty and grew up on some of those benefits and saw people struggling who would go, as you said, to get these jobs, be forced to work for, I don't know, back then maybe it was $4 an hour, $5 an hour, and their conditions never got any better. Didn't mean they didn't need health care, still had illnesses, still needed health care. And it's just mean-spirited at the end of the day. Uh, Isaac, want to end on something positive, though. President Biden in Chicago delivering his big economic message, Bidenomics, uh, he calls it. Uh, Three pillars of this plan or his vision, uh, making smart public investments, empowering and educating workers to grow the middle class and promoting competition to lower costs and help entrepreneurs and small businesses thrive. How important is it? that folks see Biden as a president ca- that can improve their economic situation. Uh, it's so important. Um, and, it's, and it's important that he's traveling around the country and telling people about what he's done. Um, because a lot of people are trying to figure out, uh, you're saying you're doing all these things, but what is it and how is it affecting me? So the fact that he's able to go break that thing down and say, this is what we've done and this is how it's going to affect your everyday life. Uh, even when you talk about broadband, broadband internet here in South Carolina, we just got billions of dollars to do that here in South Carolina. So now that that rural country, I mean, rural city or that rural town can now get internet um, uh, usage. And so most of our work from home jobs, you need internet. And so uh, that's going to help plenty of people get back to work and put money in their pockets that way as well. So Biden needs to continue to go around this country, explain what he's doing, um, and he needs to get help. He can't go everywhere, so he needs to get more people out on the road um, talking about what he's doing and how it's going to help the American people in their everyday lives. Yeah, I think that uh, investment in broadband internet says is going to get 8.5 people connected. We take mm-hmm. for granted that everyone has access to, you know, some kind of fast internet services. And the reality is even some of our urban centers, folks still can't get good internet connectivity. So uh, really important, as you said, that not only that Biden is doing this, but that he is talking about it. And let's not forget our Vice President Kamala Harris, because this administration is successful because of the work that they do as a partnership. And as folks are applauding Biden, they need to remember he does have a partner in that Oval Office, and it is our Vice President Harris. And they both need a lot of credit 
for what they've done on the economic front, obviously on the front of pushing back on our rights. Uh, what do you think, Professor Farmer? I'll give you the last word. Uh, one of my guests the other day says, well, it's good to get broadband internet to folks, but poor people might be reluctant because they feel like the government has uh, you know, not done enough to earn their trust. What do you think George um, Joe Biden needs to do to make sure folks trust that this is something that will improve their lives? Well, I think it's important to know, first off, that there's some people that are never going to trust him no matter how well he does. And he has a lot of really good things to point to, but those successes aren't yet being reflected in his approval ratings, right? So there's some people who are just, for whatever reason, not going to, to get on board. But I do like the idea of communicating what you're doing. Eventually, that breaks through to enough people, not everybody, but to enough people that allows you to have a, a, a clear message and a successful uh, electoral outcome. So he's got to hit the stop. He's got to have his surrogates out there. You mentioned Vice President Harris. She's certainly been very effective in that regard, and hopefully they'll continue to do it. On that note, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Professor Fontroy. Thank you so much, Isaac Wilson. Always a pleasure to have both of you on. I am so much smarter as a result of spending this hour with the both of you, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. When we come forward, more with Ariva Martin in real time right here on KBLA Talk 1580. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy told reporters that he backs a proposal from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and House GOP Conference Chairwoman Elise Stefanik to expunge both impeachments of Donald Trump. The measure would be purely symbolic and non-binding. McCarthy justified his position by claiming that both impeachments had no due process. In the past two weeks, Biden has been cracking jokes about his age more often than usual. He's dropped some version of the punchline, he's old and he knows it, during events on gun safety and international diplomacy, at campaign fundraisers, and in a speech about abortion rights. The more direct approach as Biden ramps up his re-election campaign is a shift from the way he's typically tried to make light of his age, noting he's been around a long time. A push to tie Medicaid to work is making a comeback. Georgia is at the forefront. The Medicaid changes sought in Congress did not survive a debt ceiling compromise, but Georgia's plan, called Georgia Pathways to Coverage, has proceeded and will begin this July. Despite their disparate outcomes, the moves in Washington and Atlanta reflect a renewed determination among conservatives in various parts of the country to tie eligibility for the largest form of public health insurance to work. The 49-page indictment against Donald Trump for mishandling classified documents and obstructing justice is largely focused on how boxes of sensitive documents ended up crammed into the nooks, crannies, and even a chandelier-adorned bathroom of Trump's Florida estate, Mar-a-Lago. But two of the indictment's most vivid scenes took place about 1,200 miles to the north. Prosecutors accused Trump of showing off classified documents to employees and others not authorized to see them, not once, but twice, at his sprawling golf club on the rural plains of New Jersey. Daniel Penny was arraigned for a second time this morning, two weeks after a New York grand jury indicted him for placing Jordan Neely in a fatal chokehold in a subway train in May. 
The arraignment is a procedural step after the 24-year-old Marine veteran was indicted by a grand jury in the death of Mr. Neely, a 30-year-old Black man, in a minutes-long incident caught on film. If convicted of second-degree murder, Penny faces 5 to 15 years in prison. The Supreme Court ruled on Tuesday that the First Amendment imposes limits on laws that make it a crime to issue threats on the Internet, saying that prosecutors must prove that a Colorado man who had sent disturbing messages to a singer-songwriter had acted recklessly in causing emotional harm. The state must show that the defendant consciously disregarded a substantial risk that his communications would be viewed as threatening violence. Justice Elena Kagan wrote the 7-2 to two majority opinion. And today, President Biden delivered remarks on Bidenomics and how his economic agenda is growing our economy from the middle out and from the bottom up. The president's economic vision is centered around three key pillars, making smart public investments, empowering and educating workers to grow the middle class, and promoting competition to lower costs and help entrepreneurs and small businesses thrive. You are listening and watching Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. In this hour, we go beyond and behind the headlines, and we dig deep on those stories and issues people are talking about. In this hour today, we are exploring conservative lawmakers' obsession with banning drag shows. Now, drag shows have become the latest target of conservative criticism. Since the beginning of this year alone, 32 bills have been introduced in states from Arkansas to South Carolina to South Dakota and Tennessee. Texas and Virginia also got in the game targeting drag performances. Now, the details of the legislation changes from state to state, but these bills represent a very, very dangerous chilling of Americans' right to free speech. See, the U.S. Supreme Court long determined that clothing, yes, what you decide to wear as clothing, that you have a constitutional right to express yourself via your clothing and that how you express yourself is a protected form of speech under the First Amendment. So when entertainers dress in drag, they are exercising their right to choose what clothing they wear, i.e. they are exercising their constitutional right, a constitutional right that has been recognized and upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, my theory is that this isn't about dress. This isn't about the shows. This isn't about the entertainment, but it's really a way that these conservative lawmakers can target and intimidate individuals who identify as transgender and non-binary. These performers are being frightened. They're being intimidated into hiding many of them as these shows are being canceled and limited all over the country. Today, I'm talking to entertainers who dress in drag, who do drag, who perform at nightclubs, who perform on television, and who see their entertainment as a constitutional right and see how they dress during their entertainment as their right to express themselves and talk to these guests and see if 
They know why conservative lawmakers are so obsessed with them and get them to explain what so many people get wrong about dressing in drag and about drag entertainers. Stay with us. All of that coming up when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm back and you are listening to Ariva Martin in real time. And I'm your host, Ariva Martin. And this is our two of the show where we are going behind the headlines and digging deeper on those stories and issues that people are talking about. And in this hour, we seek to bring understanding about issues that sometimes can be confusing. And in this hour, we're talking about entertainers who do drag and the bills that have been enacted across this country to prohibit these entertainers from dressing in drag to perform at nightclubs, to perform uh, in other venues. Now, Tennessee was the first state to pass a bill barring what they called adult cabaret performances on public property or in places where they might be within view of children. The bill bans, among other things, male or female impersonators who provide entertainment that appeals to what they say is a prurient interest or similar entertainers. Violators may face misdemeanor or even felony charges. Now, driving support for these bills uh, is obviously these lawmakers' discomfort and distaste for expression that they believe defies conventional gender norms. The growth of library drag queen story hours, programs that feature drag performers as a way to provide as they say, queer role models for kids have led some to question whether young children should be exposed to those who defy traditional gender patterns. I'm going to talk to two entertainers in this hour who do drag uh, as they perform in different venues. Joining me is boy girl Robert Garcia, uh, a nightlife entertainer, and Anila the Dow, who also entertains in drag. Thank you and welcome to both of you. I want to Thank start you. start with you, Robert. So a lot of folks, I, I know uh, you and I talked before the show started about how you identify, and you told me that you identify as non-binary. A lot of folks struggle with that term, what it means, uh, who's non-binary. So just give us you know, your explanation, your definition, or how you define non-binary. Yes. So... Um... Non-binary, non-binary is something that I definitely, I, I, even myself, I'm educating myself as it develops <clears throat> the classes and things like that because it's a big umbrella, you know. Um, for me, being non-binary has just been being gender neutral, being gender fluid. I call myself a boy girl because <clears throat> when I was 13 years old and my parents wanted to know what I identified as, they um, that was the only explanation I had. I didn't know what non-binary was. I didn't know what, what, if there was a space for me. So I would say boy, girl, essentially it's just really um, someone who kind of doesn't fit. Like it's it's more like gender non-conforming. You're not really fitting in the female or male spectrum. Uh, Essentially you stay in the middle um, or you just feel free of just doing both and not really having any restrictions. 
So what does that look like for you on a day-to-day basis, Robert? So obviously your name, Robert, most people would associate that with a boy. Uh, Those that are listening and not watching uh, on our streaming platform, I can see that you have these beautiful, long cornrows. You got some (laughs) gorgeous lashes going. You got that makeup beat. So you're looking rather fabulous. Uh, Now, you know, again, most people would say boys don't do that. Guys don't Mm -hmm. wear long cornrows and beat their faces and wear long eyelashes. Some do. But, you know, traditionally boys don't. So how do you express the boy part of Robert? Is it just your name or are there other ways that you express it? Um, it, it's my, it's, my name is definitely the big one because once I'm like, I'm Robert Garcia, people like that cannot be your name. So that's obviously like the first one, but essentially it comes out really in my non-conforming ways. Basically, um, you know, I have times where, um, I have no makeup on and I still, excuse, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am. And that's really where it, it, it made sense for me because even the public without you know the glam and the glitz still saw me in either the feminine light and sometimes the masculine i feel like it really depends on the experience that you're you have with me you know um i have people that have only seen the masculine in me even when i look like this so uh ultimately it's just me kind of being free in my gender not really following necessarily what it is that pertains to like a man or a woman today i did my daytime job with no makeup on and you know i still get the miss or hey that guy over there and it's it's it doesn't offend me i i am a boy and a girl like for me it's actually comforting when you um when you already see that from the beginning okay so you don't mind if people refer to you pronoun wise as he or she no even if i look like this you know this is me at a supermarket this is me at like family events like this is literally me waking up but the thing is like i said you know the glamour and the and the glitz is, is fabulous but ultimately even without it it's um it's a gender neutral lifestyle that people just kind of naturally um understand and the people who don't you know like you, you you get the people like are you a boy or a girl once you start telling them i'm, I'm both you know how can you be both and then they want to get into like you know, they want to get into the science of things, but the reality is, is that's just what I feel inside. And I've always felt that way. I've never wanted, you know, funny story. My father, his name is Robert Garcia. And he was like, you should change your name, you know, since this is how you look. And I'm like, uh, no, that's my name. He's like, you sure you don't want to do this? Like he started almost pushing me. And, and, and in a sense, he was trying to support me in any sex change um, surgeries and things that I'm like, no, that ultimately doesn't make me happy. How I am is just how you is how you are. I got it. Okay. How about you and Nyla get in this? Uh, Do you identify as non-binary? How do you identify? Okay. Hi everyone. Um, I'm really glad to be here. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes. I I have my headphones in. Um, Yes, my uh, name is Anila the Doll. That's what I go by. It's my stage name. And I, too, um, identify as non-binary. Uh, it's, God, it's been a journey. You know, it's been a real journey to this point with being able to identify how I feel, you know, what I am based on how I feel and and you know, on a daily basis, uh, growing up. Yeah, it's been a journey. So, um, I definitely feel that I, <laughs> my, my, my queerness has 
you know, um, had, had gone in levels, you know, as far as identity. Um, at one point, I was just a regular gay little gay boy. Then the next point, I was I felt trans. And the next point, I felt you know this and this and this and this. Up until this point, where I just I feel non-binary. I do. Um, I'm not bothered by by the terms he, him, she, her. Um, they don't bother me. Um, yeah, I'm just not bothered by any any type of you know terms uh, people choose to call me in public. Based off of what they see, because you know, as you as you see right now, I'm Jamal. <laughs> um, but I know when you when I looked at your name, I'm like, okay, is this a now yeah. or, or Jamal? Okay, <laughs> so sometimes you go by Jamal, but you did say a now a now yeah. is your stage name. So tell me how you got into entertaining in the first place. Uh, okay, so I started off doing theater in high school. Um, fell in love with it. You know, I grew up loving music anyway. I, um, the first thing I ever wanted to be was a background thing for somebody big, you know. That was my first dream. If you ask in 11 and 12, oh, what I wanted to be, I can tell you that's what I wanted to be. Um, I, I, early on, I had an ear for music. Um, uh, so after high school, you know, of course, I didn't, um, didn't complete school or whatever, you know, my major, however, my major was theater in, in mm -hmm. community college. Did a little of that and, um, yeah, I decided to go my own ways. <laughs> um, due to, you know, how I felt uh, about myself, you know, where I'm from, which is Mississippi, uh, there, there was not a big drag scene it was not there was not there's not a big openness uh and, and and a big welcome as far as being gay and it just wasn't and so i ended up moving uh south mississippi jackson mississippi where the drag scene um and it's just a club scene for gay individuals was there you know um, and that's where I kind of found my first tribe. You know, that's where I found um, the stage again. And it, it just, I started off going to the club just with them. You know, my friends, a lot of my friends uh, that I had become acquainted with uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, were drag entertainers and, and club kids. And they were just involved in the clubs in ways that I could see, you could see them expressing themselves right. um, and having that freedom to do so. So I would just go to the club with them. You know, I was a baby in the in the clique. So, I, you know, I would just go to the club, carry the bags, and do all the things. And until I started paying attention to how they were on stage compared to how they were off of stage. Mm -hmm. You know, it just seemed like they it seemed like they would take everything that they had been that been through, you know, from the week before and just just pour it out on stage. And not only did it make me miss the the rush that I got from doing theater in high school, but I was at a point in my life where I was very, um, I was trying to figure myself out, you know? Right. And so there, there, was a, there were a lot of dark moments and drag is what allowed me some type of light mm. um, in that moment. So I'm the, getting chills, I'm, I'm thinking and, about and, Pose. And, yeah, but, 
I'm getting chills because I love the movie Pose. Yeah, I definitely. I recommend definitely anyone there. who wants to learn about the drag community should definitely watch the series, the FX series Pose. It is phenomenal. Uh, Billy Porter and the other actors in that. And I, it was so educational, but so yeah. moving. And I fell in <laughs> love with the characters. And uh, when you talked about the journey and some dark periods, I mean, we got to live that through young kids who were finding their sexual identity and having the rejection of their parents and their friends and, you know, having to go out into the street and prostitute themselves just to make a living. I mean, it's so it was so raw and so real. Uh, and then to see those performances, like you said, to see them come to life when they would dress up and just perform, it was just so incredibly powerful. All right, Robert, what's your story? How did you get into entertaining and, and doing drag? Uh, you know, Jam Jamal's story is so powerful. Uh, yeah, it's yours. I mean, I mean, you know, Anila's story is is very similar. You know, uh, you kind of start stepping into the scene. So I'm a singer songwriter, and I've been writing music for a very long time. Um, music was my 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 drive, and I booked my first show. I was underage, <clears throat> but it was like a, like an open stage, and I booked my first show. At the time, performers really didn't sing live, and um. You know, they they loved the songs that I was singing. I started to then <clears throat> book shows through my music. So I started becoming popular through like social media and rap songs that I had. So I would get the bookings based on that. And to be honest, every time that I've ever kind of stepped away from nightlife or doing shows has been the most depressing time for me. Like at this point, I do about four shows a week and I can't see my life not doing the shows because... Um, this is the happiest place I'm at. You know, my partner is a drag queen and we do shows that like, this is pretty much my entire life. My family, my grandmother be in the club with me, you know, supporting me. So, so this has become my life where everyone around me um, is hitting the stage, including Anila. You know, Anila and I recently did a show together that was really fabulous. Yeah, I gotta see. Well, let me ask you both this. When you all dress in drag, so you, Robert, is there a particular character that you dress in all the time or do you just wake up on that morning and say, look, today I'm going to dress, I'm going to be Diana yeah. Ross, the next day I'm going to be Whitney Houston. How do you decide? So I get inspired, but for me particularly, people, you know, I, this is my lifestyle. So essentially I'm just getting ready to do a, you know, I, I'm just this Robert Garcia getting ready to do a show. I'll do my makeup as I would. I go in my closet pick the most fabulous outfit based on the event, based on the crowd that I'm expecting. Um, the better the outfit, the more the tips. So, you know, that, you know, it, it's it's a lifestyle for me at this point. I would I do say that I'm inspired by everything I see on TV. And if I get an idea, I'll mix it up. But essentially, I kind of just move to my own rhythm. I just, you know, I just kind of go, like I said, I just kind of do my own thing. That's my inspiration is really knowing that I'm about to hit a stage and put it all there. You know, I'm singing live. So these people are just eating it all up. Yeah. Anaya, when we come forward, I want to ask you, you know, who inspires you? And I also want to talk about these bills that have been enacted across the country to really ban the kinds of shows that you all typically uh, perform at. What do you think about it? And this myth that somehow by dressing in drag and performing, you are corrupting children that might see you in your various uh, outfits. Uh, stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Arriva time is the right time. 
More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. forward. You are listening to Ariva Martin in real time. My name is host, Ariva Martin. And in this hour, we are talking about entertainers who do drag and why conservative lawmakers across the country are so obsessed with the way they entertain. Now, the First Amendment gives us a right to express ourselves through our clothing. The Supreme Court as has upheld that right repeatedly. But somehow these lawmakers in states like Texas Texas and West Virginia and Tennessee are out to ban individuals, both men and women, who dress in drag to perform. I'm talking with two uh, drag entertainers, boy girl Robert Garcia and Anala the Dow, about their performances. So Anala, tell us about your inspiration. So Robert said he just wakes up and however he feels, he just goes into that closet and comes out with something fabulous. I'm hoping that both of you can share some photos of yourselves uh, as you entertain and some of the outfits that you wear. But tell us, Anala, who are some of your inspirations? So um, a lot of my inspiration comes from the women in my family. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Okay. So a lot of uh, my inspiration comes from, started off coming from the women in my family. Um, when I started doing drag, that's what I would think about. Most like my mom. Um, I was adopted, so I would think about my biological mother a lot too. Um, she, she was the one that was the most fashionable. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of uh, the women in my family, my sisters, my cousins, my aunts. And any really a, a, a lot of the women um, I would see on TV. Okay. Uh, um, and I knew uh, I experienced going through something or making it through something. Um, I kind of uh, took that aspect uh, and put it in my drag. So okay, so you're inspired by women who've gone through some obstacles or tragedies and who have overcome. Uh, Robert, so these bills ac- across the country again try to ban uh, male or female impersonators who provide entertainment that appeals to a, what they call a, a purient interest or similar entertainers. And the the point is, they're saying, is that somehow if children are viewing these shows, that it's going to be harmful to children. Now, what do you do in your shows? And is there anything that you believe would be harmful to a child in your show? Um. So, no. <laughs> you know, it's a simple no. You just said you're singing. So, what? Like, yeah. is there? So, I'm. You know, I'm singing my music and, you know, I have rap songs that may have a cuss word or two. And but then at the same time, I have ballads, you know. So for me, essentially, I read my audience. You know, I've never done a show that has been kid friendly, which I I, I get that I get booked to do them. But I've never done those shows inappropriately. I do consider the, the audience. I consider the, the children, you know, fun fact, just recently I was actually um asked to be the host for the Ella Baker Public School that is in the city, in New York City. And, you know, it was incredible because in that moment I was hosting, I got to sing one of my songs called Baila Baila. The kids jumped the stage. It was it was like so much fun. But something that struck 
to me was, you know, there was a young kid that came out of the closet, as we say, through a poem. And he mentioned that it was because I was booked as the host that he built the courage to tell that story. And, you know, I think that, you know, I I understand that we want to protect our kids because so we, you know, anybody in, of the LGBT community at also wants to protect the kids. Um, we want to protect the kids. We also want to protect non-binary and trans kids that right. exist in this world. You know, I'm living proof. You know, when I, I my I come from a family of a bunch of boys. I'm a twin. You know, he's a boy. You know, so I understand the the cultural expectations and the and society what they expect but ultimately i was never happy because i felt like i had to follow those rules it wasn't until i was able to express myself as an artist through my music you know i'm singing about love i'm singing about heartbreak you know but i also like to sing about working you know what's the difference from the mainstream artists right now and what i do the difference is, is that I'm doing it in a nightclub or I'm doing it for, you know, everyday people for probably a quarter of the the fee, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, uh, Nyla, the claim is somehow that dressing as while you're a man dressing as a woman, uh, they call it female impersonators, that there's something unwholesome about that. That's what these laws say they're out to ban, is this unwholesome activity. D- do you think that anything that you do in your performances qualifies as being unwholesome? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I want to start off by saying that, you know, I was raised, of course, uh, Baptist in a Baptist family. Uh, I, th- through um, the religion of Christianity, I was able to form my own belief of God and 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 uh, the you know the the thing uh, that I believe really is pushing you know this human race and and so I try not to you know, be disrespectful in, in, in any type of way in my performance. I try to use songs that are uplifting. Um, I try to use songs that are, uh, you know, impactful, um, that can touch you in an emotional way. Um, but like Robert said, there are times when I am feeling myself and I am happy about um, who I am and making it through the things that I've made it through that I want to pull a Beyonce uh <laughs> you know, pull a Beyonce twirl, a little booty shaking number out or something, you know. See, nobody um, would say that a... Beyonce performing is unwholesome. We see people, right. you know, buying thousand dollar right. plus tickets, right. traveling across the globe to go see <laughs> Beyonce, Lizzo. Yeah. I mean, we can go, we can yeah. read the role on performers that do things that quote unquote could be considered unwholesome because of the way they dress, etc. I want to ask you this. Robert, one of the things that people get wrong, I think, about people who are in the LGBTQ community is that you all are out to proselytize. You all are out to indoctrinate little kids with your philosophy that you're out there trying to get every little boy and every little girl to, you know, quote unquote, turn them into gay kids. Help folks understand why that is just ridiculous. And that is not what gay people do. You're not out there trying to turn the world gay. 
Yeah, I listen, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thought process. Like, like there's so much proof to prove that it just doesn't work that way. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't, I, there was nobody that I was following to be who I am. I felt it deep inside and I've always felt it. You know, something that, that just kind of piggy, that, that kind of cups, comes up to mind is the fact that I really feel like ultimately the target is trans people and non-binary people. I don't think it's drag queens. They're using drag queens as the the road to get there. But if you look at, at where it's going, it's ultimately telling people like myself, non-binary people, that I can't wear a skirt because it's not assigned to my gender. Right. And that's where it becomes a bigger problem because, okay, let's say if you, you know, club, you know nightclubs shouldn't have three-year-olds in there. I can get that. But... What happens when I'm living my everyday life? What happens when I'm going to one of these tax firms to pay my taxes looking like this? You know, I'm getting, you know, I'm, it's, it's being told that it's, it's, it's uh, impacting someone else in a negative way when all I've ever received was a thank you. Uh, parents thanked me for empowering their kids. You know, I have nieces and nephews that are not LGBTQ+, but they are so open-minded to other people because they see that their uncle, some of them call me uncle, some of them call me gunkle, some of them call me titipio, <laughs> you know, they, these are, it's not doing that impact. And I don't understand where they're connecting it, but that's why I have to say that the target is trans and non-binary people because drag queens are here making people smile, making them happy, and ultimately making a living. Yeah, you know. when we come forward, great point, Robert. When we come forward, we want to talk about that. Are these laws really uh, an attempt to get at punish and really cause intimidation for people who are trans rather than so-called protecting children? Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and I am talking in this hour with Robert Garcia, who calls himself boy girl, Robert Garcia, a nightlife entertainer who does entertainment in drag and Anila the doll who also entertains in drag. So Anila, let me ask you, do you think that these laws that are being uh, enacted so far, 32 of them I've been able to count in over a dozen states are really targeting individuals who identify as trans and those that are non-binary? Yes, I do agree with Robert. It, that it's, it's, drag queens are not, <laughs> never been, um, you know, focused on, uh, what, is, what are they saying, grooming your children or, or trying to, 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 to uh, grow your children up faster than, than you would, you know, like them to grow up. I think I honestly think it's it is targeting trans uh, people, especially trans people who really put a lot of effort in the way they look, uh, as far as in public and and um, it, I just don't see it, but I still don't see it being a thing uh, that is 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 a big thing for children, children because. It's it's for the adults who can can form, you know, their opinion on on the way you look just by the way you look uh, immediately. Uh, when children, they see they they don't see the same thing as as adults see, you know. 
Um, they don't look for the same things when they look at people. So I definitely feel like it's for trans people, uh, trans men and women. So. Yeah, I, I tend to think so, too. I don't think, obviously, this is about protecting children, because as you said, Robert, children shouldn't be in nightclubs to begin with. They shouldn't right. be there whether they're watching a heterosexual, a homosexual, a, a queer person, a, a person entertaining in drag. There are laws that prevent kids from being in clubs around liquor, you know, where liquor mm -hmm. is served. So if these if this form of entertainment is happening in places where there are adults, or even if it's happening, as you said, Robert, you were a hostess at a school. So mm -hmm. I again, I don't see what is wrong with you hosting an event at a school around kids if you're not singing songs with explicit lyrics or you're not engaging in any kind of activity that would otherwise not be wholesome no matter who engaged in it. So I don't think it's a matter of who's doing the activity. It's a question of what is the activity that they're engaging in and we should be targeting the activity rather than the person engaging in that activity. I want to ask both of you, have either of you participated in these drag queen story hours that happen at some libraries? Um, so I, <clears throat> so I actually haven't been a part of it. I've gone to them to support, but I have a lot of close drag queen friends that do them and are well known for them. Um, and to be honest, that's why, um, I started feeling comfortable with doing like hosting events at public schools and things like that, because originally I was like, you know, I don't know if a kid can relate to me. You know, that's really what I would say. You know, I'm like, you know, maybe not a kid. It wasn't until I was seeing Drag uh, Queen Story Hour where some of these kids, you have to see them light up when they see someone who is just free. I know so many little boys that want to wear dresses and believe it or not, it has nothing to do with being trans. It has nothing to do with sexuality. Sometimes they just love the dress. They, they see, you know, Miss Frozen turning it on TV and they're like, I want to turn it too. You know, I've seen that happen. And, and another point that I want to bring up is I've seen people, you know, I've seen, kids have proven that I, um, kids have proven that they see me as Robert Garcia like this or without it. You know, I have cousins that are like, oh, my favorite cousin, and I'll have no makeup, sometimes a little mustache, but they still see the same thing. And I've never seen them change their actions. I've never seen them take anything negative. If anything, they've, it's happiness that we've always shared. Let me ask you this, Anila, about the term drag queen. I was asking Robert before the show, you know, is that a negative term? Has it become negative? Do folks who do entertainment in drag, you know, yourself and your peers, are you okay with being referred to as a drag queen? Um, honestly, like I said, terms don't bother me. Drag queen, drag performer, entertainer, because I'm all of those things. Um, but um, I guess I guess it can be used uh, in an, in a negative light. Uh, I guess people can some. I guess some entertainers can, based off of how they identify, how they look at themselves, can you know uh, take it in a negative way. Whether uh, being called a drag queen uh, when they feel that they're entertainers, or they feel that they're uh, just a performer, or drag is not. Drag is not uh, the queen. The queen deal is the, the queen. It's not so much drag. The word drag is the word queen. And um, yeah, 
Terms are very, very sensitive, you know, today. So. Right. You got to be so careful. That's why I'm asking. So, Robert, I know you said you don't prefer, you don't refer to yourself as a drag queen. What's yeah. your, your relationship with that term drag queen? So for me is I feel like what I do is a part of being, of doing drag. Like it's a part of the umbrella. I know some drag queens that are live singers and live entertainers. So it is under the umbrella. And that's why I say uh, but, but let me just make this point, actually, which we spoke about earlier. You know, when I um, first started, I identified 100% as singer-songwriter Robert Garcia, boy-girl, favorite boy-girl of the world. Most recently, I featured on an MTV episode. Well, I didn't feature. It was an episode about me. And... Um, they were so, the, the producers were like, you know, what do I, you identify? Like, what do you say? What, what are we going to say to be appropriate and correct? And I remember just saying drag because I knew that the world would understand and relate to that more. But most importantly, I started to carry the badge of drag because I knew that people were trying to ban drags. So I was like, no, now, now I'm a drag and now I'm going to full heartedly, uh, support that. But essentially it, it, my issue with me just kind of saying that I'm a drag queen is that I don't want to uh, not validate my preferred pronouns and not validate my identity as being non-binary. You know, I feel like even within our own community, sometimes when you say you're a drag queen, they look at you as just that and assume that you go home to live as a man, full blown. That's not the case. You know, for me, like I said, this is me on a every day. I'm just walking down the block, singing a song, something, you know, like this is literally what I get. But I know that um, holding that title of a drag queen is going to open, it's going to open the minds of the people who are judging. But most importantly, it's going to impact the community that is giving me stage and giving me platform. If it wasn't for drag queens, I will not get the stage and the publicity that I get from my community because drag queens who do this, like I said, drag, I have multiple jobs, I have multiple businesses, but I know drag queens that this is what they do nine to five, like this is their life. Right. Let me ask you both of you real quickly. Are there people that you know who dress in drag, who perform as drag, but who are not members of the LGBTQ community? Can you be Yes. Just a straight guy or yes. girl and do yes. drag. Definitely, definitely be a cisgendered person and do drag. And you know what? Let's go even far further. I know people who do drag that do not perform. I know people who dress in drag just because that's what they want to do for the day, and they don't never hit a stage. You know, because right. um, I would imagine just because you do drag doesn't mean you have talents or skills, right? Okay. <laughs> Oh, that was okay. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that, that you know, I, I asked that question because people, again, when I started the show, I, I wanted us to help folks understand a lot of these terms and what they mean. People have so much bad information, misinformation about oh, the LGBTQ community, about the terms, and particularly about uh, entertainers who do drag. And you guys have been, you, you, you all have been so amazing and so honest and so transparent and have helped me learn so much uh, about uh, what your lives are like. And again, I, I go back to anyone who wants to learn more. Obviously, I hope you were listening to the show today. You can check out the podcast of this show because it's really a lot of good information, but also check out Pose because it also 
walks you through that journey of what so many boys and girls and men and women go through uh, who do become performers and who are incredibly, incredibly talented. Thank you so much, boy, girl, Robert Garcia and Anila the Dow for joining me in this hour and for helping us understand drag. And to those conservative lawmakers that want to ban drag performers, please focus more on the actions and not the people, because it doesn't matter if you wear a dress or a pair of pants. If you're doing something that lifts people up, let's let people lift up other people. We need more love in this world for sure. Good I'm out, y'all. You can follow me on all social platforms at Ariva Martin. The next